talk about controversy. It looks like Ubuntu Mate 2204 is going to support Flatpak out of the box. Yeah, I guess this just means having Flatpak installed. No Flathub or anything by default just yet. Oh, okay. I mean, it actually just feels like it just makes a lot of sense. It does make a, a lot of sense. It makes software easier to install. So if you have both snaps and Flatpaks, then you really can have anything on a system, right? But... I mean, let's be honest. It is notable that a major Ubuntu flavor is doing this. That actually does kind of seem like a big deal. Hopefully it's the first step to flat out being there someday. Oh, hey there, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Nice being here with you today. Coming up on the show, what's going on with Ubuntu? We're going to run down the issues that we see. We've been dancing around this and taking different passes at it, but today we're going to take it head on. Our thoughts on the new Ubuntu Pro integration that's been announced for 2204, where we think all this could be going in the state of Ubuntu, and then we'll round out the show with some great feedback, some really great feedback, some picks, and a lot more. There's a whole bunch of show today, so before we go any further... Let's say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello, Wes. Hello, everybody. 30 strong going today. Nice to have some up in the quiet listening. Uh, this is great joining us on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. All wearing their uniforms just like we asked them to. I, well, it helps when you hand them out for free. That's right. You know, that does help. Um, so before we get going, we got to acknowledge there's just a little behind the scenes thing going on during the show today. And I just want to get it out in the open in case something seems a little off. As we record, Brent is providing remote tech support, remote operational support for my wife, who is back at the RV right now, Lady Jupes, affecting emergency repairs. How's it going on the Brent ground, Brent? Is two-timing us? Yeah, yeah. What? I know. He's multitasking. I mean, I'm trying to just, you know, be the best me I can. What I'm getting is really photographs, Chris, of your RV wires that look like they've been chewed by a bunch of rats. Well, I don't know about a bunch, but it's bad. It's worse than bad. It's, oh my God, scary. We just came across something. All right, okay, all right. Stay a while and listen. It all comes back to when we got stuck out in the woods. When it got real cold, oh, yeah. we were snowed in for a week. You freeze out. So we brought Lady Jupes back to a safe spot. And she was frozen solid. The tanks were all frozen. So we put in heaters. We took all the steps we could. And then we abandoned ship for a week. And we crashed at the studio. And while we were gone, and probably because it was so damn cold outside, a rat got inside the RV. I knew something was wrong because I have motion sensors around Lady Jupes. And a, a couple of nights in a row, my motion sensors went off. So it was either that or a new ghost. Yeah. Could be, you know, I'm always looking. But the cameras never caught anything. Like, the cameras would snap on, and by the time the cameras initialized, which is like, you know, two, three seconds, whatever had triggered the motion sensor was gone. Until one night, I looked at my phone in the morning, and I saw, unlike, I think, I guess, the, it's the axle, I saw a big fat rat running along the axle of Lady Jupes. And that's when I was like, oh, no, right? Okay, we got a problem. So let's go pack up Lady Jupes. Let's get out of here. There's rats. I mean, if your home can move, this is one of the times to move it. And I don't want them, you know, doing any damage. So we get in there and we're spending the whole day yesterday getting her packed up. 
doing all kinds of stuff. And of course, we had to run down to the studio and pick up some supplies that we had hired. Uh, of course. So we're running down to the studio, not once, but twice to grab stuff. Running back up to the RV. We're t- it's taking us all day. We've got kids running around. Their friends are all coming right, well, over. All right, we'll be packed up in another hour. Another hour. That's exactly the scenario. Like, okay, how much longer can I play? You got about an hour. And then two hours go by. Uh, so we get everything ready. The sun is setting. We're way later than we wanted to be, but we got to get out of there to protect Lady Jupes. And I'm ch- I go to check the tanks. Make sure we, you know, yeah. we need to take any, take any water on board or anything like that. And the little, it has these little lights, these little LED lights that light up to indicate how full it is. And the light panel comes on for a moment and then sort of blinks and fades out. Uh oh. And then none of the buttons work. And I start going, oh, that's, that's not good. But you know, she's like six, seven years old. These things happen. We were on rough roads. Maybe there's a wire loose. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So we keep packing up. I bring in the living room slide. That was the slide we were having problems that sent us to Tucson. I bring in the living room slide. I bring in the bedroom slide. We keep packing up. Kids are running around. I hit the button to bring in the kitchen slide and nothing happens. No noise, no air lights. It's like I didn't even push the button. So I hit the extend and I hear the motor spin up and they start, but then there's nowhere to go because it's already extended. So then I push the retract button. Nothing. Dead. Uh. And I start doing the math and I start thinking, okay, I saw a rat running on the axle. My LED lights just went out on my status indicators, and now this button doesn't work, right? I'm just adding it yep, all up. Yep. And so from about 10 minutes after that point, we had a couple of false, the false floors in our, in our cupboards removed where there's some different clusters of wiring. And we found, yeah, a rat got in there and chewed up the wiring <sighs> that controls the slide. Of course. So I'm shutting down all the power. I'm shutting down my servers, my telco stuff. Everything's getting all shut down as we're re-patching up wiring. <laughs> so that way we could try to get jupes out of there. It has been like really since the, since Tucson, it, the environment, Mother Nature has been out to destroy us. That's really how it's been. It's yeah, been at this rough. point, it's had to resort to sending little minions in to help out. That's uh, next level. Uh, I'm at a point now where if anybody in the Pacific Northwest has a large garage with a large driveway that I could park jupes in for about two, three weeks, so I can affect several different repairs now. Like I found this wiring. Uh, and that wasn't the only wiring they chewed on. Like if we hadn't, right. if we hadn't found this, we could have had some sort of disaster. You did check your brake lines, right? I got to check everything. I got to go, I got to pull everything out and I got to clean everything, which we have been doing. And I have to check everything. I got to go through every single system. So I need a place that's dry because it's raining here all the time. Ideally rat free. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, let me tell you, we went to war, dude. I am not messing around. Peppermint, essential oils, noisemakers, traps, all kinds of stuff set up everywhere. More cameras deployed so I can see where, I mean, I don't mess around. <laughs> I deploy everything within my power to get these things out. It's like out. a whole new game of tower defense you've got going on. We even hired a professional to come out, oh, uh, wow. a, a, a local who knows. So, so here's the problem. The whole damn town, the whole area, this whole block has rats. The whole block has rats. All the houses have rats. They're everywhere. So that's why we just got to get out of there. It's like a infestation. I like how clever this rat was, though. You know, like disabling the slide. That's one of the things that can really keep <laughs> yeah, you there. It really was. It was a clever maneuver for sure. So while we're recording the show, she's back at home trying to repatch these wires together, cut out the bad spots that have been chewed up, and then connect them back together. Uh, and uh, we'll see. We'll see if we can get the slide in and get the hell out of there. But then I don't know where I'm going. I don't really have anywhere to go. So that's always fun. I mean, I can go back out into the woods, but right. how long is that going to last? I don't know. 
So that's a good time. That's a good time. But hopefully Brent will have uh, Brent will still have availability for the show while everything gets patched up. Tell you what. I mean, how do you even you can't even take it to somebody to work on it when you can't get the slides in. So as I as I uh, as I sit here today, it has been basically like what, three or four or five months of Mother Nature on onslaught. It's just been it's been crazy. Yeah, I can't remember the last week that went by that there wasn't like a you know pretty precarious jupes update going <laughs> yeah. on of one kind or another. <laughs> Uh, although sure you should do learn a lot like we're learning like uh how the wiring works now on the slides right. more so we figured out how to reverse the wiring so that way even the button even when the button only works in one direction we can reverse the wiring to change what that direction of the button does and that kind of stuff and you can actually apply like a nine volt battery to one of the prongs and it'll activate the motors because it just needs a signal to tell it to turn on sure right that's all we need so uh, you got to macgyver a solution you know, at the end of this, you're going to be like customizing, building out yeah. your own rigs. It's it's sort of the perfect journey for a Linux user in that regard. It really it, it does match up really well. It's just uh, God, is it a pain in the butt? Sometimes. What you need is a you you don't have the hot standby RV that you can just right. sort of jump through when you experiment RV, or just live somewhere where it's dry for a bit, where you can have like where you can pull everything out of the rig and work on it. Like we've been thinking, like should we try to escape to Arizona or right? You know, somewhere Retreat. where yeah, but. That's a whole, that's a whole, you know, financial thing and operational thing. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We're not, you know, we're, we're not done yet. We still have a little fight left in us. And I wonder if that's also true for Ubuntu. I want to talk about this because it's something that we've been, it's one of these things we've been having a really kind of frank conversation off mic about, and we've touched on it in bits in the show, but we had to sit down and we really kind of put it all together and realized there's a lot going on with Ubuntu and this announcement of the Ubuntu Pro that's now going to be baked into the desktop. So in 2204, when you boot up, it's going to ask you if you'd like to subscribe to Ubuntu Pro. And that started just sort of really, I think, solidifying our thoughts on this topic. Yeah, and uh, well, rather unfortunately, when this new Ubuntu Pro integration first rolled out, at least in the dailies, it contained a rather annoying bug. So like, at first, it's designed, it's intended that, like, you know, when you're first booting up here, you're first upgraded, and you get this, you just got a little notification. Hey, do you want to try out this new Ubuntu Pro integration? Now, that notification box asks, like, no, you know, if you, if you, if you decline. Yeah, don't remind me. Or don't whatever. remind me. I'm, yeah. I, that, I'm cool. Okay. Yeah, that part didn't work. Yeah, you click it, but it just didn't register anymore. Now, in fact, it made sure it was going to appear next time. So every time you boot, even when you'd say, don't remind me, You'd get this prop. Now, to be totally clear, these are in the daily images for a beta that just a tiny, tiny amount of people are using. But it's not like a great first impression. No, and it's definitely going to make you ask, because you're going to see it a bunch, what is Ubuntu Pro? And uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure, because it seems like maybe it's not all done yet, but I think essentially it's a rebrand of the Ubuntu Advantage service, which reminded me, weren't you using that on a few of the machines? Yeah, these machines. These three machines here on the studio desk are all signed up with Ubuntu Advantage for years now, since like 2018 when we first deployed them. I I signed up. It gives you additional patch support, so there's like an additional 30 packages they're patching. It gives you live kernel updates, and it gives you a central place, at least Ubuntu Advantage does, where you can see your machines, see their version, get just some basic overall high-level information about them which is nice when you're managing multiple machines. 
I did pay for it initially, but then they made a modification where up to three machines is free, and it seems like that's going to be true for Ubuntu Pro as well. Hey, that's nice. Yeah, it does look like they're in transition from Advantage to Pro. I'm not sure. I think Ubuntu Pro is probably a better name. It is. Yeah, it's, I noticed in the code base, it's still called Ubuntu Advantage and stuff. But, you know, these things take time. Yeah. Uh, did either one of you guys try it out? I know we all loaded up the beta recently to give this a go. Yeah, I did. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much I really need it in my day to day. I do think like the live patch functionality, that stuff still fascinates me. I love that that's even a thing that we can do and that it works and that, you know, like, but at least on the, most of my Ubuntu machines, I don't need that. I also don't need like a bunch of the, the stuff they have in here for compliance and hardening, but that does seem pretty handy if you're going to roll this out for like enterprise desktops. Yeah. Brent, did you get a chance to try it? You know, I actually didn't because I wasn't, I don't know, nothing really stood out to me like, hey, yeah, this sounds really interesting. I'm going to go try this out. And I think it's interesting to me, maybe it frames this whole conversation, is that we're putting attention on a little indicator. And I remember a few years ago when there were so many new features on every release of Ubuntu that were like super exciting and I couldn't even help myself but to jump in and and try things even before they were released. And there's something about recent times that I think is worrisome maybe in that way. Yeah, I see where you're going. And I think that's why we wanted to talk about this too. And, you know, I I don't necessarily think the service is a bad idea. We've recently been talking about ways to monetize desktop Linux development. Maybe this is one of those solutions. That is one of the things I think that that stands out about this is, well, seeing this get a little more focus, attention, a little more draw, prompt, you know, maybe this this is an area that Canonical's planning to push on. Yeah, yeah. But I I don't think it's going to work. And I think what Brent was just touching on is part of it. If you look at, uh, so you're kind of you're kind of pushing this to anybody who gets Ubuntu now, and most people, you know, they're, most people are going to deploy it, in a lot of cases in a VM for development testing, or you have a lot of casual users who don't really need live patching service or the compliance stuff. They're not going to apply their updates anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I actually think there's larger macro problems that Canonical faces that are going to prevent this thing from really being successful. I mean, beyond just getting a high number of users, I mean, that may be a thing that they're going for. Is Maybe they just want number big. But I don't think it's going to be a very successful initiative because I think, and I don't get any joy in saying this, the Ubuntu desktop seems like it's in a decline. If you think about it, if you go back to April of 2017, Ubuntu had an amazing level of support from the community when they announced they were switching back to GNOME. I mean, yeah, some of us were like, oh, I wish it was Plasma. But this was 2017, and almost anything Canonical does is not well-received by the community. But this one was. Yeah, and it was like, just thinking back to that era, you know, like when 1604 had come out, there'd been changes over to SystemD, there'd been experimental ZFS support release. Like, it was just, there were, there were changes happening. It was a time to pay attention. Yeah, they really had captured everyone's attention at that time. It was... It was a big, big batch of momentum to lose. And they've kind of been slowly losing it over time. And I think it all started with snaps in this most recent round. I mean, there's been a lot of things in Canonical's history. We could go through all of them. But I really think snaps created this weird dynamic between Canonical and the Linux community. And some commercial vendors love it, right? But the average Linux community just didn't really take to it. and the uptake for Snaps has been really kind of a grind for Canonical. And I think there's been resentment that's built up. The community resents Canonical for creating Snaps. 
And Canonical resents the community for pushing back on, well, just about anything they've ever done, including snaps. Fair enough. And I think that exasperation inside Canonical has built up over the years. And it led to focus drifting and focusing on other areas like server and cloud. And over this time, some of our good friends that we all know have left Canonical. And that passion drain has a real impact on a company, even if they don't want to admit it. It does. Even one or two people leaving like that can change a company. But it's a real problem for Canonical because they make money from the desktop. Yeah, sure, they make money from the other stuff. But they make money from those OEM deals with Dell and HP and others. And also, having a strong desktop offering is critical in an overall healthy developer ecosystem. you got to have a desktop for people that are building these apps that are going to run on Ubuntu. There's also maybe it raises a question for the wider community of, as, you know, Ubuntu just ends up even among, you know, some of my friends who are kind of casual Linux users who could set up Arch, you know, they know enough to do that. A lot of them just run Ubuntu because it's, it's still got that like default mentality. Right. And is that just going to get a little, maybe embarrassing is not the right word, but you know, you could imagine a situation where if that really continues to see a lot, a lack of focus or polish and just be ashamed to have to either point people to other options or mm. sort of have some apologetics and be like, yeah, I mean, that's not really representative of the best of the Linux desktop. Well, I think you're starting to see these red flags already. And I think Canonical sees these red flags. I don't think they're blind to these. Um, The download numbers for the interim releases sound like they've been lower than typical. A huge red flag was when Valve announced the Steam Deck was switching to an Arch base because that implies behind the scenes, Valve developers spent hours and hours moving from a Debian base to an Arch base, which means that they did the math, they did the calculation and said, this is absolutely critical to the success of the device. We have to allocate time to this. Canonical saw that. You know, that's a massive, massive thing. Recent Linux YouTuber challenges. They launch, they have their community submit distros they should try, and Ubuntu was never even considered. Manjaro, Gentoo, Pop OS, Mint. No one suggested Ubuntu. I mean, you know, kind of an elephant in the room when that happens. And when you look at our Tuxies results that we did recently. Yeah. Ubuntu clearly struggled in all of the results where it was one of the contenders. And the reality is, is that where enthusiasts tend to go, then that starts to be what people recommend, like you were just kind of inferring. And so now that the enthusiasts are using other distros, when new people are coming and saying, what distro should I use? The answer isn't Ubuntu for a lot of people anymore. No, not really. But I think the good news in all of this is that Canonical seems to have noticed Right, like You can look at their actions, and they seem to care, because actions are going to speak a lot louder than words in this case. And like they're hiring that Linux desktop gaming product manager. So is that maybe a start um, in, the, in the mobile room? Diddle Danny points out that maybe one way to look at this as, you know, people have left, but have to what extent have those folks been replaced? Yeah. Diddle, do you think it's like a transition period? I'm not sure about that. Um, a lot of the uh, big folks in Snapcraft that have left they just have not been replaced at all. That's interesting. But they have been hiring in like documentation. They have been hiring in the desktop space. What do you think that implies? I wonder if it's some kind of downgrading of the importance of snaps. Minimek, what are your thoughts? 
Well, I think it's not really an issue. Ubuntu has become standard, and standard is not interesting for us Linux geeks. But still, you can do everything you want. And Ubuntu, they have some license agreements with computer manufacturers like Lenovo and HP. They have thousands of installations running on universities and colleges. It's just a standard. And I don't think this is really a problem. You can do everything with Ubuntu. I use it in, until it started. So I don't really see an issue. Brent, do you think we are just in the red flag stage right now? Like, this is fixable, right? You know, I started with the red flag situation, but I, I, I think with Minimac, I just perhaps might suggest a different perspective. And I wonder, is this just a maturing of Linux distributions? You know, is, is Ubuntu the new Debian? You know, Debian used to be the kind of boring, really stable, you can install it and it would just work for a long time kind of distribution. And I wonder if Ubuntu sort of is the modern Debian in that sense. Is it just finding a different kind of title? I could be totally wrong there. I'm curious what you think. I wonder. I, I feel that if you want to set the standard, if you want to create something that developers are going to embrace and get excited about, if you want buzz, that kind of stuff, you you can't let your foot off the gas too much. Otherwise, before you know it, the whole world's talking about Fedora, Pop! OS, and Manjaro. Uh, Altira, I know I always butcher your handle, but you have some perspective too. Well, Ubuntu is like a great product and like a nice governing system. But like for the past couple of years, they fired a lot of people and dropped Unity 8, which was like most of their desktop uh, projects at the time. Because up till then, they were like heavily involved and like creating things in Ubuntu that were then like uh, trickled out or get adopted by the upstream projects. But when they fired a lot of people and just dropped their main desktop projects, the rest of the desktop team that was left was like playing catch-ups and reacting to uh, what the rest of the ecosystem is doing. And they like do not have the resources now to develop new desktop things because the server seems to be like the only funded space now. Does make me think of uh, you know us sort of wondering like well are they going to catch up on the latest GNOME stuff? Yeah, I think what I'm what I'm searching for is I want to want to run Ubuntu. I want to want to run it. Like and I, I yeah I don't. I, I it's just not even really a consideration when I'm reloading when I was taking Mint off my ThinkPad. I thought about Arch for a minute and I just ah, I'm going to stick with Fedora and I went back to Fedora. I think it is especially hard with how good Fedora has gotten and now that that's. I can see it, you know, if you've always used Ubuntu and you haven't played with Fedora, but like, if you know how to make Fedora work well, which does not take very much these days, and it's, it is, there's just so much more to be excited about every release, and you get more releases more often. It's tricky, right? Because what, what Fedora has done is they've shipped the right upstream first, and then they have put together a really good system to manage all of it in a really clean, modern design for, for a Linux system. And they, uh, you know, the Canonical's approach is much more direct. It's about creating that Ubuntu desktop experience. And they think about things like snaps and that. And it's just a different, it's a different set of goals. And the problem is, is that I think it's just more noticeable when they take their foot off the gas. Uh, I don't know. 20, I'm looking forward to 2204. You know, and it, with this bug fix for this Ubuntu Pro thing where you can say, don't remind me, and then it doesn't bother you anymore. That's a nice solution. And you can still enable it if you say, don't remind me, and then decide to change your mind. You can go into the software and sources app right. and still turn it back on. It's available in there. 
You know the uh, the recent news around System seventy six's scheduler stuff. I think yeah. that also maybe because System seventy six has been you know has been stepping up their focus on their own desktop efforts and are not distracted. Well, distracted is a strong word here, but you know do not have a server side to to really dive into. That also makes uh, yeah I think adds a contrast. Mm, that's such a great point because that is definitely putting pressure on on this because you know you can disagree with the direction they're taking cosmic. Right. But it's they're it's they're doing something. Yeah, it's a bold pushing forward, especially with the scheduler too. And you see that too. Like I think Manjaro's really good about. It. They have a very good, strong brand there. Fedora again. Fedora I think does a great job of having a very strong experience and not having to really make something that deviates very much from upstream. Like these, they all have a spot there. And where Ubuntu is carved out for themselves, it just you can really feel it when they when they let off. But I am heartened, I guess, by seeing like signs that they seem to recognize it to some degree, and they want to address it. I want to believe that after the Steam Deck was announced, they had a conversation internal that said, so why didn't they go with Ubuntu? Why didn't they use Ubuntu Core on this thing? I hope so. Wouldn't that, I mean, isn't that the canonical dream? Like a device like the Deck, using Ubuntu Core, shipping everything as a snap, updating Steam as a snap, all of that. Doesn't it seem perfect? Yeah, I thought that maybe that would work really well. Yeah, and that's not what they're doing at all. They're going with Arch. They're doing it all themselves, their own repos. They went the most 180. They, Arch and Plasma, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So what's that about? I hope they had a conversation around that. But uh, I'd like to know your thoughts out there. Maybe you haven't noticed this. Maybe you like the change. Maybe you've noticed the transition, but you like it. Let us know. LinuxUnplugged.com slash contact. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support this here show. Linode's how we've built everything since we've gone independent. I really feel like it's my secret weapon, and I'm still so enthusiastic about Linode because I just feel like if you knew about it, you could build something really special too because they've got 11 data centers around the world so you can build something close to you. They have outrageously great performance, and they have been focused on one thing since the very beginning making cloud computing accessible to everyone and affordable. That's it. That like whole package right there, that that concept, that cloud computing should be easy to use, easy to deploy and affordable. Like that's like a trifecta of what Linode's all about. And they've been doing that for 18 years. Who else do you know? Who It's really almost 19 years now. Like that is some serious focus and dedication. And that $100 that they're giving you to try it, that's a confidence thing, right? That's them saying, you're going to try this, you're going to actually use it when you have $100, and we know you're going to like it, and you're going to stick around. It's great. And they're always investing in performance. Like, they've just begun rolling out some beautifully fast PCI MVME storage. So that's something you might want to think about if you got an application that needs some serious IOPS. And their support team will always work with you to kind of figure that stuff out. And they're not going to try to get you. You know, they have great support. That's what they're known for is their fantastic support. Well, one of the things they're known for. I mean, when you do something this good for 18 years, you get a good reputation. They've also been a big supporter of the free software community for a while. A lot of times we're doing research on projects and we'll come across their GitHub page or their blog. And right there, they'll have a logo sponsored by Linode. Like some of my favorite projects like Kubuntu and Linux Fest Northwest sponsored by Linode. And of course, they sponsor a lot of Linux media these days. That's massive. You know, and I love where they're going. I chat with them on the regular, and I get the inside scoop on what's coming next. And I happen to know it's something that is going to be really useful. 
So if you're a performance hound or if you want something that's just simple or maybe you're looking to have a hybrid cloud setup so you don't have every egg in every single hyperscaler basket out there, I think you know what I'm talking about. Lido could work great in that scenario too. So go get the $100, support the show, try it, and learn something. What a great opportunity. It's linode.com slash unplugged. We got some great feedback this week, as always. So please continue sending those in, linuxunplugged.com slash contact. Um, Micah says, first, I want to tell every Jupiter Broadcasting listener out there something. If you ever have a chance to go to a JB meetup, do yourself a favor and go. I drove up from Portland for the meetup last Sunday, and it was a blast. The JB crew is a warm and welcoming bunch, and it was great to spend the day with a group of fellow Linux enthusiasts. It was like being with old friends that you've never met before. I can't wait for the next one. I completely agree with the, it's like meeting old friends that you didn't know. Yeah, It's a weird thing because, I mean, you're human, so you've got about, Five minutes of like, hey, hi, my name's so-and-so. Oh, yeah, okay, how do you do? What do you do? The initial social anxiety that we all have. If you can survive that five minutes after that, it's like you've been hanging out with these people for 20 years. And it was such a great group of people that afterwards, Wes and I were talking to each other like, it's pretty rad that a group of people that awesome live in the Pacific Northwest. We were like, yay, go Pacific Northwest. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, they're all over wherever we have. Yeah. Audience, yeah but for sure. Yeah. Is that, that some of the awesome audience is around us. Wow. But I would totally hang out with that same group of people. Uh, again, I hope we will. Um, also just kind of incredible is, uh, listener Jose made the trip out here. You may recall Jose, uh, also made the trip to Denver and he won a raspberry pie that Linode gave away. Jose is visually impaired and lives in Puerto Rico and made the trip out to Seattle. Never been to Seattle before, but came out for us. That's, it's, it's just a highlight. It's wild. It was a highlight. It and, really was. And uh, it's inspiring too. And uh, he's a developer by day. So, you know, he, we can sit down there and just talk shop and it's so much fun. And he's got the perspective of, you know, doing it from Puerto Rico, which is fascinating. And the whole crew was just great to talk to. Everybody was in conversation. There was nobody left out. Nobody was in the corner being socially awkward. Everybody clicked. There was food and cookies for plenty. I still have, I still have food and cookies here. Uh, So I want to do another one in a few months. Of course, I want to do them on the road too, so we can spread these out. Absolutely. And one day I want to fly around the world and do these, but that's more of a time and budget thing. We'll get there. We'll get there. But I could see doing one in the late spring or something. I don't, I don't know. I got to get my jupe stuff figured out. Once I get Lady Jupes figured out and yeah. I know what I'm doing with that, then I can start planning the rest of my life. That old uh, hierarchy of needs. So yeah. you're, you're still working on shelter. You know, if you do a string of meetups during the winter as a regular thing, you wouldn't have these rat problems, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep moving and they can never find their way in. That's it. Although, you know, I'll end up just going somewhere else that has rats. These damn things. They're everywhere. Or you'll find uh, exciting new pests from other regions. So I know we got some Nopix adventures that uh, we were, we got a lot of Nopix adventures, but I know there was at least one we wanted to talk about on air. We got a lot of them and we've been talking about them, which is uh, really great. Um, But we got one from Tristan that I thought would be a really fun story to tell. For most of the time my kids were growing up, I had a semi-profitable side hustle repairing Windows systems. I wound up doing it often enough to have a Nopix terminal server I could pixie boot. My daughters would frequently use the Nopix Pixie Boot option to bypass the network printer restrictions on their school laptops so they could print their assignments out at my house. As many times as those speedy live sessions saved my bacon, 
I was asked to meet with her principal because my daughter had been selling live Nopix USB boot sticks to classmates who were interested in bypassing the school-issued laptop restrictions for less academic and savory purposes. <laughs> wow! The lesson? If you find yourself finding backdoors into systems when kids are around, be aware. They absorb everything, they solve problems quickly, and they don't always wrestle with the moral implications. <laughs> good advice. That's a good little victory for a kid, too, when you figure out a bypass like that. Oh, not, you know, that's not even a thing we got into with the Nopic stuff, but it was also great for all kinds of stuff like that. A Windows system that was totally locked down, but they had, you know, the USB ports were there, and you'd just plug in and just completely bypass it. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people back then would forget to lock down the bootloader yeah. or the BIOS. Yeah. Oh, brings back the memories, the member berries. Okay. All right. We have an email from Justin. Yeah, Justin writes in, It was fun to hear you guys talk about Nopix and the live CD. A little after the turn of the century, I was working at Best Buy's Tech Bench, which changed to the Geek Squad. And we had Nopix discs laying around when you ultimately had a ruined Windows install and needed to rescue data for the customer. Yep. Nopix was an invaluable tool that saved countless people's family photos and documents. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point right there. I mean, I think... It was one of the you know the earlier times where you had access to that amazing recovery environment. Yeah, and the fact that you could boot up in Linux, mount the Windows partition, and then use the network or another you know removable disk to like save the data. Especially compared to like having to boot into like a Windows install or recovery environment, which is so uh, limited in uh, comparison. It's just no good, no good at all. It also made me think a little higher of Best Buy repair people. I don't know. Maybe it's just me and I'm fixing my own stuff at home, but I never really knew what they did behind that desk, and now I know a little bit more. Well, they have to deal with the public, so you got to respect them for that. Yeah, at least. there's that. Like they have to deal with, uh, and people are not happy when their machines break, and they probably Especially often when they broke them. If they buy them from Best Buy, they probably come in there expecting Best Buy to fix them for free too. So I could see them being just little turds about that. <laughs> So they probably have to deal with a lot. So mad respect, actually, to them. Fair and enough. The fact that, you know... like It's like helping your family, but you don't love these strangers. <laughs> there's probably a few bad ones. It's not the whole batch. Axel wrote in from Sweden as well. He said, I know a live USB stick can save a PC, but has it ever saved your phone? A couple of years ago, my dad lost his phone in my parents' house, and it was impossible to find. For some reason, the Find My Android alarm didn't work, but I could see that it was connected to the Wi-Fi somewhere. The battery was draining, and time was ticking. Turns out you can measure the Wi-Fi signal strength to other devices in Kismet. Now, this is Brent speaking. I've never used Kismet. Has one of you guys used Kismet? I don't know if I've used it specifically, but I've used a tool similar to Kismet, and it is really amazing what's going on in the wireless spectrum. When you start looking at it, have you ever looked at any of these Wi-Fi analyzer tools? Oh yeah, yeah. Wi-Fi analyzer is the classic classic app. I think I have used Kismet now and again, but it's been a few years since I had the whole you know air crack, the whole suite of tools for oh, playing yeah. around with this stuff. Oh yeah, back in the day, I definitely had like a specific wireless card that I could put into. I think they called it promiscuous mode, but I can't remember. It was some mode you put it into. Promiscuous car. Yeah, you were already in that book. <laughs> yeah. Separate story. Hey, oh, that's true. But I, I remember getting like a specific card, and it worked with very specific software, and you could do all kinds of things back then. Um, I mean, Wi-Fi is in a w much better shape than it was a decade ago. Sounds like at least uh, according to this page, Kismet now works to some degree under WSL. So how about that? Hmm. Oh, that's just great. So actually, I actually said uh, it was actually too hard for me to install at the time. 
which it sounds like these days is much easier. He continues, so I booted up Kali Linux USB stick and walk around uh, with my laptop until the signal was at its strongest. Turns out the phone was directly below me in the basement. I finally found it laying on a sponge. <laughs> that is so great. What Isn't a great, great way to find your phone. Yeah. yeah. That's hmm. a USB little like, that. that's what I was saying last week too. It's like, just keep a few of these with you at all times. You never know what problems you can solve. And he did it without a tile tracker thing or whatever you know like look at him go air snort was the app yeah diddle diddle and uh gerald got it right. oh yeah air snort and air snort ng eventually well you gotta have an ng <laughs> yeah. oh great well that really was uh those those were all hitting the memories uh, linuxunplugged.com slash contact if you've got something you want to mention an idea for the show or a response to something we talked about a few things to tell you about here in the housekeeping section first of all Thank you to our members. We do only have one sponsor right now, and so the members are keeping us going. Like, it's literally that. So thank you to our members, UnpluggedCore.com, and if you want to support the entire network, get all of the shows ad-free, you can go to Jupiter.Party. But we do also have that live version. That's actually what makes it in the Jupiter.Party feed. That's where you get to hear Wes cursing and... It happens, folks. You know, talking about food. I don't know random stuff really we just have two shows we actually i mean we're geeks we talk about geeky stuff that's what happens every single time you get all that when you become a member so that's at unpluggedcore.com or the whole network at jupiter.party also i want to tell you about our matrix community it's growing and one of the things that people say about telegram is it's nice for your phone but it's just one thread so there's all kinds of conversations going on while that's awesome and a lot of our hosts pop in there throughout the week at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram our Matrix community, that's been separated out into topics and shows. And so things stay on topic and in the individual rooms, and it's pretty great. It's where we also have our JB cryptocurrency chat going on, where we have rational, reasonable conversations. And Wes is always trying to sell his NFTs. I was going to say, at least until Chris shows up. <laughs> zing, dude, zing. Uh, so that's at linuxunplugged.com slash matrix for information about that. Our Mumble Room, for information about that, is at linuxunplugged.com slash mumble. And they were in there this Sunday, chatting before we even got started. So reliable. And we loved it. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's like a it's like a slice of the experience of the meetup thing. Because you get like-minded folks who are informed about this stuff and want to learn. Regulars, yep. a great mix. So that's pretty nice. So details for our Mumble, linuxunplugged.com slash mumble. Love to have you there. Now, we do have a very special pick. We wanted to work it into the show this week because it's important, but it didn't fit with the overall theme, so we're making a pick out of it. I'm just being honest with you. Slackware 15.0 officially released this week. It ships with Linux 5.15, which is the LTS kernel. Probably pretty appropriate. And I got to say, their release page is really a work of art. It is a time capsule in of itself. It's worth looking at just for that. I love that it starts with breaking news, <laughs> Samega, Minnesota. <laughs> but good for them. And it's, you know, this release is also associated with some losses, people close to the project from the last couple of years. And it made me really appreciate the fact that Patrick is still around. Yeah. Slackware is still around because some OGs in that project were lost recently. And... That's going to be a thing that happens more and more as part of our community ages a bit. And uh, 
I'm grateful that we still are getting releases of Slackware after all these years. I mean, this one looks like a good one, too. Like, there's some modern stuff in here. They brought in Rust and Python 3. There's Pipewire and you Wayland say, support. Did you say Rust? I sure did. Yeah, and it looks like you can get 5.16 if you, if you want to go for it and get, like, really the latest stuff. And SendMail. It's been moved and made the way and made the way has been made for postfix. Yeah, all right. That's, that's a big that's transition. Good. Yeah, wow. <laughs> About time, I'd say. <laughs> uh, we joke, but actually, we have a lot of respect for Slackware, Patrick, and the entire project, and uh, we appreciate that release. So go check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, but we do have one more thing to get into. Um, this came up in the mumble room before we started. It's something that Grub's been capable of for a long time. I didn't know about it. And I got to I got to acknowledge that because, you know, if I had if I had told if I did know about it, I would have told you guys immediately. But this week, we're going to link you to something that's going to take your Grub bootloader to the next level. You can really crank it to 11 with Grub tunes. And we have a website that Wes has found that lets you test out the tunes that will play when Grub loads. Give us an example there, Wes. I mean, how amazing is that, right? You, you, your computer boots up and right before the grub menu pops up on your screen, right through the PC speaker. Like who doesn't want that blasting in their PC speaker? Now we should note that this is all early boot time. Grub's not going to really work multi-threaded here. So you do have to wait for the whole tune to play before booting continues. So maybe choose the short one. Yeah. Like, like just a coin or something like that. I mean... And keep in mind, it is going to play through your PC speaker. So uh, that's, that's also something. <laughs> See, that's perfect, right? So this website that we're linking to, well, it lets you test these out before you actually commit them. Yeah, Grub Init Tune Tester, because it's basically, uh, let's see, there's, the format is tempo, and then you have a series of frequency and duration. So you know, you're actually specifying what frequency the speaker to play and then for how long. So it's a little unintuitive. You might want to be able to test this faster than having to reboot or use a VM. <laughs> Hey, we got a newbie. We got newbies in the chat room. You know, we do this show live on Sundays now. We start at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. And it's a lot of fun to have you guys in the mumble room, even if you're just in the quiet listening or in the chat room. It it gives us like a, a special kind of energy. You know, it gets us going. It's exciting. And you also get to help us title the show. Uh, and you get a lot more show as well. So we do that at jblive.tv on a Sunday. And of course, we always appreciate you just downloading and listening. Maybe you've always just got it via the podcast and that's what works for you. Huh. Well, you're about uh, 99% of the audience, maybe even 99.8. <laughs> so we understand and we appreciate you too. Uh, in fact, if I could add one more podcast, I mean, there's a whole bunch of good shows at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Yeah, how are you going to pick just one? In fact, uh, you know, like uh, Coder Radio and Self-Hosted, I think they are uh, do not misses. But if, you know, speaking specifically to the Linux audience, you got to go get Linux Action News. Nice and tight, just what you need to know, broken down in a way that's easily to understand, gets you right through it without the hype, linuxactionnews.com. It's like a whole other aspect of this show. We filter the fluff so you don't have to. We look back at Linux Action Show and thought, let's take the news segment and just just really hone that in and just give you the stuff that matters. And uh, so you can get that at Linux Action News. Go get that. Otherwise, we just appreciate you joining us. Show comes out now on um, late Sundays, Pacific time, early Mondays for most of the world. Who can keep track? Just subscribe. There's like a like an automated feed. That's what I would do. Yeah. Don't let the machine handle it. And uh, don't forget, go get a new podcast app, newpodcastapps.com, and then send us a boost. We've, we're watching your boostograms, the highlight of our day when one of those comes in. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out newpodcastapps.com. 
There's a whole new index out there. Of course, you can also subscribe directly at linuxunplugged.com slash subscribe. That's where we have all the feeds. Or just download the MP3 and play it with VLC like I do sometimes, (laughs) you animal. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. jbtitles.com let's go pick our title and uh, boat this thing we got to give it a good name you know I wanted to mention the absolute highlight of my week change my day sometimes is when one of these boosts comes in and they're often just like you know just a small amount of sats but to get the live messages and to know the episode that people are listening to at the time it's like it's information I never knew I wanted something about the real time nature of these coming in with the show name on there and, and the little noise that Helipad makes when they come in, it's a delight. And what I think for these, for these kind of value for value payments to really work, we need to be able to embed a button on the website. Developers need to be able to have a button like in their about page, like a link that you click. Yeah, you that, want a low, low friction. Yeah, because I, I think we could take this beyond just podcasts, but it needs to be outside just the podcast apps. And the little bit of the, the, like sending a message, like I just, um, I thanked a developer for building a, a basically a Python bot, uh, and I sent him some Litecoin. But I, I, he didn't, you know, when you just send somebody Litecoin, you don't know who it's from. Or just wh- some, some coins that show up? Yeah. So then I had to, like, track down his contact page, and I was like, hey, just so you know, I sent this in just because I really appreciate you working hard on this. Uh, and, like, it just would be so nice if it was just one button, and it just does it all and puts a message in there and sends it, and they get it in real time. It's the greatest thing. It's the future. It's the way of the future. I have a question, a follow-up question for you, Chris. Sure. What would it take for you to be interested in installing Ubuntu on your laptop? Hmm. Well, probably the latest GNOME stack. And uh, that includes like the latest GTK4 and all of that. Or, you know, have them go wild with a plasma. I mean, that. I mean, obviously, I would immediately try that without question. I agree. But I think uh, just really something, something like that, something that... Probably address if they could somehow address software availability a little bit more than just snaps and app packages. They probably need to redo the software center too. Like there's a few things in there. I'd love to have ButterFS support in the installer. I mean, it's not mandatory, and I, you know ZFS for my data storage is fine. What about you? Can you? Am I missing anything you can think of? I do like trying out the ZFS support in the installer from time to time. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens with like some of their new Flutter work. That's not that enough would, to like keep me on a desktop necessarily, not yet. You but. know, that's something we didn't touch on in the show, so I'm glad you brought this up, right? Is there are rumors of like a Flutter desktop one day from Ooh. Canonical. That's one of the rumors out there right now. And that's something else I would immediately try with, with alpha labels or whatever. I would yeah, immediately yeah. try that. So it's just pushing the envelope forward a little bit, bringing something that, you know, because one message that we've heard from a couple of developers now and... and it really, I think, came clear in the Lutris de- uh, developer interview that we did is there was a period of time in desktop Linux where Ubuntu was setting the pace 
And so if Canonical built an app in a stack, then other people used that stack. And it wasn't universally true. I'm not trying to imply like that was 100, that would never happen. But we've heard it from several different developers. And I think the Lutris one was the most clear about it. Like they were taking Canonical's lead. And so then when Canonical stopped leading, they don't really know what to go to or where to go to next. And so I could see that being true for some developers. I don't think it's as necessary anymore. I think, I actually, I, I really think the whole GNOME GTK Flatpak stack is really kind of starting to come together. So it may be, a, may be less and less of an issue, that kind of thing going forward. But it really was, it was something that resonated with me is that there was a time where that was really true. And if they were going to do something like that with a Flutter desktop or they maybe ever tried like an, an experimental version where they basically made an official Kubuntu version. Um, oh, yeah, because it's not because you can't. It's, so for some reason, just using Kubuntu doesn't do it. Kubuntu is great. We've got it right here next to me. It's running on the OBS machine. Totally been a rock. But it's also something about the underlying system. And maybe it's the fact that it's Debian. I also am not particularly drawn to Debian, even though I think it's a great distribution. I've used it on servers. We use it. I think it's totally viable. I think I'm just I want to be done with apt. That's part of it. Mm, that could be part of it. Yeah. Not that it's, I mean, it works fine. It works fine. I just. It's feeling a little old. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, uh, it, this is a personal observation, but I wonder if there's something to be said for the lack of in-person canonical sprints. I know they were doing those very often and in many parts of the world for their team. And for obvious reasons, those have haven't happened in the last, I don't know, couple of years. I wonder if there's a correlation there to their innovation internally versus those kind of in-person sprints. There's got to be something to that, right? I'll blame that. I mean, I don't think so, but I'll blame that. I like that. It at least doesn't help. I mean, if you could blame it on COVID, that's the best way to go, I think. <laughs> well, just, I know, you, you know, I, I just came from a trip to the studio and how much did we get done while I was there versus, yeah, you know, our yeah. typical pace with that's being true. from a distance. I mean, it was 80% remodels, but. That's true. <laughs> still. And, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of those sprints and they really do just get a lot done. They all sit yeah, down in these different yeah. rooms and. Yeah, there might be something. Maybe you are onto something, Brent. Eh, it's not one singular thing, but maybe that's a contributor. 